0: and welcome to His Film, Her Movie. I'm Jordan. And I'm Lauren. And together we are the podcast that answers the question to what lengths will one married couple go to to make the other watch some films that they love? In every episode, we choose a different cinematic topic and each choose one film that exists within the bounds of that topic. So, Lauren.
1: Yes?
0: What have we chosen to do this week? Well, we've chosen
1: something a little bit different this week. We have. So the theme was, like, kick-ass females.
0: Yeah.
1: So we've chosen two films. Yeah. But they're both... They're not the same film. They're both from the same series of films.
0: Yes. Well, there were supposed to be one film that then got split up into two.
1: Hint, hint.
0: Yeah. So it sort of came from last week where we chose... I mean, we had Mad Max and we were talking about like female action stars Mm -hmm. and it just got me thinking it's like okay we do female like kick ass females and then it might have been my idea because i haven't seen these films in quite a while
1: it was definitely your idea because i have i hadn't seen these films
0: yeah so what we've chose to do this week is kill bill volume one and volume two quentin tarantino's revenge martial arts saga <laughs> well you can find out what we both thought of those later on but what's been keeping you entertained over the last seven days
1: well i sadly finished dollface There's, fully finished yeah there was only one series
0: oh well, is it not, not, not coming back for
1: not coming back they made it a few years ago i think before like cat has got like marvel money marvel money she she don't need no TV series. She's got Marvel cash now.
0: Oh, she was in that two broke girls for forever? Oh,
1: yeah, she was. She was in that for so yeah, long. It's supposed to be
0: very very bad that TV show.
1: If mm, it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. She's definitely a, a, a her and the other girl in it are definitely like the big stars yeah, in yeah. it. Everybody else, she can pretty much give or take. <laughs> um I've been watching Angel. Right. Because I hadn't watched it before. Yeah. And all the forums were like, oh, now you should watch Angel. Now you should watch Angel. So I started watching it. Um,
0: First impressions?
1: David Boreanaz really likes Hawaiian shirts. Mm-hmm. Still too broody. I just, need to get, I just need to get it until I think it's season five when Spike comes back. Apparently that's when it gets good because it just has more of a comedic value.
0: Yeah. So, James Masters just
1: brings comedic value to everything that he does, really.
0: And that's it. I mean, being a big Buffy fan, I mean, I've seen Angel all the way through. I mean, I don't return to it as much as I do Buffy. and It is very much more of a, of a serious show. You don't have that. You don't have a Xander or even a Willow, given that lightness of touch.
1: No, it's um, Wesley's back in it. Right. And Cordelia is currently pregnant with Demon Spawn.
0: Yes, I remember so, you know,
1: that. We, we, it, it's super happy <laughs> and full of bad Irish and bad English accents. But Jeremy has just been in it with questionable facial hair.
0: Ah, very nice. Very no, it nice. wasn't. <laughs> Anything that?
1: else? Well, we also did watch uh, Dance Girl Dance.
0: Yeah, the Dory Dorothy has in the movie.
1: Yes, um, because I had heard about it. And you very kindly got it for me on the Criterion Well, yeah,
0: I think you collection. didn't, you, didn't you read about it in the Helen O'Hara book.
1: I did, Women in Hollywood, yeah, yeah. And I actually really liked it. It was really nice and it was easy to watch. It was a nice, simple sort of thing. But when we were watching it, um, we were talking about how, oh. Um, Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball, absolute can't take any scene that she's in you just cannot take her eyes off
0: her and that's it i think it's you've got maureen o'hara as this the star really she's the main mm-hmm. character and um, who's this wannabe dancer but lucille ball is she I mean, steals it but, but she, she's like the sex kitten isn't she she's like the one who sort of doesn't sell out but doesn't become like the 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 quote-unquote like Classical dancer. She, she does she a cabaret want, show. She doesn't want
1: that. She just wants to get married and have some cash.
0: And that's it. And she does. And uh, But it's when you've got Maureen Ahara, who's fine in the role. And I think it's, it is a nice movie, but she doesn't really shine. And when you put anybody in that film against Lucille Ball, and you understand how she became a star, because her charisma on screen is completely different to everybody else. It's like yeah. she feels completely in on the joke but everybody else looks like they're trying to make a serious movie.
1: Yes. I think um, for Maureen O'Hara she probably would have shined a lot more if she wasn't mm. against Lucille Ball but like you said yeah, Lucille Ball just just she knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah. She knows she's not a great singer. She knows that she can't dance great but she's going to have fun anyways. Absolutely. And it is. It's just like 90 minutes, I think, of just watching her enjoy herself and overact.
0: Absolutely. I mean, she's having a ball. I mean, no pun intended. But <laughs> she really is. It is it's just, just seeing her perform on stage because there are some on-screen numbers and they are very well done. Yeah, they are. And the way she plays with the crowd, it just, she just feels so off the cuff. And so it, it, she seems comfortable.
1: Doesn't really feel like when she's on that she's acting. No. It's like she is actually that character, yeah. and everybody else is acting their part around her.
0: Um, That's a good way of putting it, actually.
1: Thank you. But yeah, I thought we watched that. So I actually have watched some sort of culture this week. There
0: we are. So yeah, and I've watched a couple of movies. That one's new. One's not. The first one is the new Netflix film. Women with uh, the woman in the window. Yes, she's been um, in production hell for a few years been on the shelf for a couple of years adapted from i believe a popular novel says amy adams you've got anthony mackie you've got gary oldman julianne moore brian tyrese henry It's got this great great <coughs> cast directed by joe wright who did atonement and anna karenina and
1: is it scary
0: no not really is
1: it's it supposed to be scary
0: not, not in a horror way, no. It's, More like
1: a psychological uh, yeah. sort of thriller, okay. Like
0: it, it, it's very much harking back to when the story is Amy Adams sees a murder happen across the street
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then calls that murder in, but nobody knows about it. Nobody knows this other person who was murdered. Mm-hmm. She looks completely different towards the person who she thought she was. So it's this big mystery. Right. Obviously, Parking Back to Rio Indoor, mm-hmm. all that Hitchcockian suspense. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the, when you have these Hitchcockian style films, what he did and what made those films great is he created the suspense mm-hmm. within the scenes and he built them all up. Whereas this film is truly, truly terrible. Really? Uh, Amy Adams is horrendous in it. It's the worst I've ever seen her. And, like, generally, I do think she's one of the best going currently. hmm It's when you have all this misdirect, because it's, it's it's a story trying, you're always questioning what the main character is, is saying because she can be a bit of a... Wasn't she, like, a
1: therapist? She, she was she... a
0: therapist who's now, like, an alcoholic <clears throat> who is dealing with, sort of like, these drugs that may make her hallucinate. Mm-hmm. So she's a bit of an like an unreliable narrator. And when you've got that, but also all these sort of it's supposed to be like everybody's a suspect, but you never really feel that. You never actually amps up the suspense. It's mm-hmm. just chaos. And that isn't entertaining. You want to see the way like Hitchcock crafted his his scenes, how he shot them, how he built it. It's just Amy Adams being a bit manic. And that's not funny. It's, it's short. It's, some of the sh- shots are really lovely. And obviously it's in 4K on Netflix. And the way he uses color, it's kind of giallo-like in that sense. It's really bold and really shocking at, at times.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But, yeah, it is truly awful. Like one of the worst films I've seen this year, Bad, um, which is a shame. Because it, it, you'd feel like it could exist as some like a B-movie midnight film. But yeah. it's not even good enough for that. It's not It's not even shockingly oh. like shock, enough done for that. It's just an, an absolute empty vessel of a movie. And the other one that I want to talk about is Ace Ventura, Pet Detective.
1: <laughs> when did you watch
0: this? I watched it last night. Um, you watched um, it last night? Yeah. Oh,
1: when I was on the sofa downstairs watching Angel. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And it's such an interesting movie. I remember watching this as a kid and absolutely loving it. Jim Carrey back in like the early mid nineties was mm-hmm. untouchable. That's when his star just grew and had grew that, and grew. And he had
1: Liar Liar. He had and the he mask. Had, yeah, it, remember it, 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 the it, mask used to freak me
0: out so but much. But and that's it. And like I haven't returned to this movie in so so long. And the thing that surprised me most, and there's well one thing will surprise me more than ever, but is that. It's actually a really, really well-plotted noir. Mm -hmm. Like the 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 detective story, the mystery at the heart of it of who who stole Snowflake, is the way it plays out is brilliant. And it's when you've got that, it's like when you look at things like the, um, the Pink Panther movies or anything like that. You've got to get that down first, and then include the craziness of the character. Yeah, because then you aren't just holding on to that character and not caring about the story. You're actually still on this great-looking story, but you just got this bigger-than-life main character. And Jim Carrey and Ace Ventura, I mean, the amount of catchphrases that, that that came from this movie. And I said, this, this film is far superior to the sequel. Yes. But I even I remember watching the cartoon as a kid. And, I used to
1: love the cartoon.
0: And, yeah, it, it's it's also interesting for the final twist
1: oh yeah because that scene has been quite problematic nowadays and i completely understand because there was a lot of jokes like that back then and now you're like oh it's not a good thing to joke
0: about yeah it's not and it's like you you're watching it and you're thinking okay back at the time but even that it's you mean spoilers for what 1994 movie (laughs) the fact that finkel who is looking for ray finkel is lewis einhorn is the the chief Lieutenant Mm -hmm. who's in charge of his case. And obviously, she's going around, not obviously, but she's going around kissing people and she kisses Ace. And when he realizes the twist
1: it's the showering, it's the the showering to crying, making
0: himself be sick. And then, not even that, it's when everybody finds out about it at the end. And everybody's being sick. Everybody's being sick. It's just so transphobic and homophobic and all that. that.
1: I know. I know exactly what you mean. Like, it's a good film, apart from that little bit.
0: Yeah, because it's just so out of... I mean, and I, I understand that what it was going for at the time was this completely out there ending, like nobody could see coming. Yeah,
1: which I get that.
0: It's just the reaction... That the characters have regarding that twist, which really rubs you up the wrong way. It's like this film could never have been
1: made.
0: No. Like that nowadays, it's shocking just how bad and blatant it is. Um I
1: yeah. think that that's it. I honestly think that <clears throat> if they remade it today, they wouldn't have to change anything. Apart from that one little bit, and I think nowadays it would be much easier to put a crazy sort of twist ending because of the different kind of technology that we've got and everything. So you could do something like, oh, it was fishing on the internet. But it's not even
0: the fact that it includes like like a trans character.
1: No, it's the reaction
0: of that, and it's just like you could have that twist; it would work. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just the. The showering and the crying and the and the trying to make himself sick and oh it's but it is still a good movie giving that like it's well plotted Jim Carrey is incredible in it so so watchable it's I think pre Friends Courtney Cox oh really it came out the same year as Friends so therefore she wasn't
1: is that when she had the really bad
0: Fringe from Scream, or is that maybe? Well, Scream was 1996. Oh, okay. So, a couple of years after she was already famous, um, which is Scream, but yeah, good movie, terrible ending, um, which is a shame. But we might as well get on to our show. Yes. But before we do so, we have to say that we are a podcast of podsyndicate.com. Yes, so am. you can go over to com to check out all of the great shows, films, TV, pop culture, anything that tickles your fancy, it will cover. And um, some really good YouTube videos from Noel regarding um, Gundam robot making. Yes, um, he's been doing
1: that recently. Yeah, so if, if you like he's that... He's got, got a, such a good patience to be able to make yeah, stuff like but it's that. it's a
0: very relaxing watch. It's... Weirdly relaxing to watch somebody like
1: an ASMR in time, type in like
0: a time lapse just build something you can see just grew over time, mm-hmm. it's really nice. But we might as well get on to our main show,
1: yes,
0: which is Kill Bill Volume One and Two. Don't really have to ask you which one to start with because let's start with Volume One.
1: Oh, oh okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will be back after this clip. <laughs> Do you find me sadistic? You know, I'll bet I could fry an egg on your head right now if I wanted to. No, kiddo. I'd like to believe you're aware enough, even now. Know that there's nothing sadistic in my actions. Or well, maybe towards those other
1: jokers. But not you. No, kiddo. At this moment, this is me
0: and my most well it's your baby so Kill Bill Volume 1 2003 film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino as it says at the beginning the fourth film by Quentin Tarantino Mm -hmm. stars Uma Thurman Michael Madsen David Carradine Daryl Hannah Lucy Liu and Vivica A. Fox Mm
1: -hmm. just to name but a few
0: yeah and they are the deadly Viper assassination squad
1: Sorry, you said that with, like, so, like, yes. Yes,
0: they are. Basics of the story, Bill and his squad go to a chapel where the bride, Irma Thurman, is going to get married. Mm -hmm. They masquerade Mm -hmm. and...
1: Leave her in a coma.
0: Well, leave her dead. They think she's dead. Now, obviously, we find out that she wasn't dead and she was pregnant at the time. And she wakes up four years later from a coma. Mm-hmm. And goes on a rampant killing spree. spree. And so yeah, I mean, I've seen this film many times. I haven't seen it in a little while, but you haven't seen it. No. What did? What were your first impressions of Kill Bill Volume One? Let's try and keep it to one instead of like the entire saga.
1: Daryl Hannah's eye patch accessories. Right. When she dressed as the nurse. Yes. To kill. Huma Thurman. Absolutely brilliant. You know, I really liked it. It was, it was stupid little details like that that I just felt really elevated it more.
0: Well, that, like stuff like that is when it's leading more into which genre it's like. It's mm-hmm. over the top martial arts movies of the 70s and 80s it, it where made you would me, have. It,
1: it made me think of like comics.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they
1: would do all that sort of thing. So. Watching it was literally like watching a comic come to life, hundred percent. And I really liked it. Like I have seen a few Tarantino films. I haven't seen all of them, mm-hmm. um, but I do really enjoy his work. Sometimes it can obviously be a bit. It can be a little bit much. Yeah, but I also like the fact that Tarantino is not backwards about coming forwards about the amount of blood and gore that he is going to use he has had many interviews where he says nope that's the kind of films i like to make that's the kind of film i'm going to make so to me i'm like well that's good i know if i want to watch tarantino film i have to be in the mood to be able to see that yeah yeah um so i kind of find that quite quite helpful sometimes you can watch a film be like okay i really was not expecting that um I loved the animation style when they were doing uh Oren's o- origin. Yeah, it yeah. kind of reminded me of like um the Death Wish cartoons. Yeah, yeah,
0: Um
1: like the anime Death Wish, which I thought was really cute. I thought that was really different. Um I,
0: not Death No.
1: Death No, not Death Wish. Death
0: Wish is a series of 70s revenge films.
1: Oh, well, look, I just totally referenced <laughs> I knew what I was referencing. So, yeah, I found it very, like, Death Note sort of style, which I quite liked. Um,
0: I love that anime sequence. Like, it's so good that I wouldn't mind watching an entire film of her origin story. Mm-hmm. It, again, that anime style, and again, it's super violent, but it's beautiful violence, I always say. You know what I mean? Yes.
1: Yeah. The way it's done is really good. Um I, can you just
0: get on a plane with a sword? Because Probably not. Maybe if it's like an can be classed as a collectible, but that is a plot point that I think maybe Tarantino is asking you to, to gloss over. Your belief. Yes.
1: I would have Got that more, but she blatantly just carried it on the plan. There was like, no, I'm just going to put this in a bag <laughs> type thing. I also wrote gratuitous foot shot. She's been in a coma for four years. It has a better pedicure than I do.
0: But well, we all know there's always going to be a foot shot in a Tarantino movie.
1: A foot shot, there was a lot. Yeah. There is a lot of feet. Yes. Including a bit that we will talk about in the volume two. Where there is a severe continuity error, which is blatantly just a fetish. <laughs> um, I yeah, I really loved it. Out of the, out of the first one, my favourite characters, um, were Gogo and Oren. Though I did feel that Gogo's um, weapon choice was slightly impractical.
0: And that's yeah, it's, it's more
1: stylistic. It's, and
0: absolutely, practical. but but again, I think it's really playing up to that era of, of the, the films he's trying to, to evoke. But like Gogo is very much going to the anime style of mm-hmm. um, the Asian market, but also going back to a film that I know he loves from that era, which is Battle Royale. Oh,
1: okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the original sort of Hunger Games Yeah, thing. so like yeah.
0: it's the um, film where all the school kids get put on an island and say, well, "One that leaves? Guess they'll leave. So, for me, Kill Bill has a bit of a fond, well, it evokes a bit of a fond memory for me because it was the first 18 that I ever saw in the cinema. And so I think I was, must have just turned 17, I, I believe. Um, so it was illegal. So it was illegal. Yes, it was illegal. But I remember it knocking my socks off. I mean, I just loved the, the violence, the choreography, the explosiveness of it. Mm-hmm. And. And that opening, the, the little black and white prologue that you get, it is so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And just, just hearing that Tarantino dialogue again, not seeing Bill and, and keeping to that extreme close-up, it's it's like a nice chair that you haven't sat in for a long time. And when you get to sink into it and it feels right and it just it's still got your ass indent in it, and you can just sort of squeeze <laughs> up against it because, <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it makes you feel cosy. And I remember also that gunshot scaring the bejesus out of me because it just comes out. I mean, even though you do hear him take the gun out of his holster, but
1: you don't expect it to be mid sentence.
0: You don't expect, don't you to expect it to be that,
1: the, the, the the main character.
0: Well, well, yeah, and then it's just you see the blood spurt from the side, and then, and then, you get bang bang. He shot me down. Starts to play from Nancy Sinatra, and yes. it's just like Chef's Kiss. It's just so quarantine or The way, like, and before we even talk about the film, it's amazing just how much that it really bled into other culture of the time. I mean, we'll get get that into a little later, but it's it isn't an original thought. But the song choices of Tarantino, especially this movie, are mm-hmm. so wonderful, and it's a testament to him that when he chooses a song, and you see it used in his films, the first thought goes into your head when you hear that song again is how he used it. Yeah, like even though "Bang Bang" had been around for a long time. You hear that song, you think of Tarantino. I
1: actually think around that time it maybe came back out slightly remixed.
0: Well, I think it was because of this.
1: Yeah. That's uh, what I it, think. It
0: brought it back into the, the into popular culture and then it, it came a few, I think a few different songs remixed it yeah. and remastered it. But it's not even the songs, it's it goes for like the yellow tracksuit too. Yes. Like that yellow tracksuit is identical to Bruce Lee's in The Game of Death, oh, which okay. was his final film. However you see a yellow tracksuit now. We mm-hmm. think of Kill Bill. We think of Uma Thurman, Uma Thurman in that yellow tracksuit. But I mean, we can go back to that that chair, feeling uh, feeling comfortable and being cozy, you know. Because it had been like six years between Jackie Brown and Kill Bill Volume One, mostly because he was trying to write Inglorious Bastards for the time and failed. He um, couldn't find a way to finish it, and you get it sometimes that. This film feels very much like a washing of the palette, a fresh, like a fresh slate. Like he attempted to write something simple but effective that has an easy through line and it just, you can showcase your talent. And I think that's what Talon Tarantino did. But what I enjoy most about Kill Bill Boy One is just is the pacing of it. it. It doesn't have much fight. It opens with a great fight between the bride and Vanita Green and it doesn't let you go after that. And it is, very much a contrast to the second mm-hmm. it's go 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 in the first
1: oh yeah definitely definitely um things that i found were quite obviously obviously i'm convinced i don't know the bruce lee movies i don't know what his influence was but little things like um when they are in the um uh it's, it's like the bar karaoke like the, it's not, it's not a bar, it's like a bar, restaurant. The
0: House of Blue Leaves. The
1: House of Blue Leaves, that's it. Um, And she's fighting the crazy 88s eight against just a... Well, I, what I noticed was it, when she started fighting them, it went to black and white. Well,
0: do you know why that is? So well,
1: I was wondering, is that something to do with the censorship? Yes. Because I have read about how, um, like when they did the Marvel films, there's obviously people dying, but you can't really show blood yeah. to get it below a certain thing. So I know America's is slightly different.
0: So, so it was to get so the film could get an R rating.
1: An R, what, what would be higher than an R rating?
0: An NC-17. Our so like certificates go U, PG-12, 12A, 12, 12, 15, 18. Yes. Americans go U, PG-13, R, NC-17. So an R is you can't go and see it
1: mm-hmm. on your
0: own if you were under seventeen.
1: Okay.
0: However, you can go at any age if you're with an adult. What? So, what? Yeah. So like
1: you could, we could take like our niece and nephew to go and yeah. see this. Technically, I, I'll probably legally. say you legally. I
0: would say so. Yeah. Um. Like I said there's loads of stories of how people have given parents taking their kids to see R-rated movies.
1: Oh, is this the whole thing of, like Deadpool? Because I honestly thought that people were just sneaking their kids in. I didn't, but but Deadpool had an R rating. rating. yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah, you can go and see if you are with an adult.
1: Why don't they just make it an eighteen?
0: Because they'll lose money.
1: That's just crazy to me because I I can't think of a tarot. I would have thought this did we probably did quite well here. Well, the, the, and we would have it as an eighteen.
0: Kill Kill Bill was his highest grossing film for um at that point. Kill mm-hmm. Volume One. Um, but again, you are cutting off an audience if if you put a. And the thing different between an NC seventeen and an R is you can't you can only go and see if you are over seventeen. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if it, whoever's with you. And yeah, you got to think about it's why the twelve a was created over here mm-hmm. because if you, you don't have to be twelve being be with an adult, and that was created for Spider Man because. It couldn't be put as a twelve. Spider Man
1: doesn't have people's feet getting chopped but, off. But, 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 that, but
0: that's the thing about twelve and seventeen age group. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's you can't have something that's a fifteen because then think about if most of Marvel movies are twelve years. but they're twelve year because they are twelve.
1: Yeah, but they so, don't. They don't also don't really. They don't show blood in the same way.
0: I know. But you see, if 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 they if, if they're not with a twelve because of violence or whatever, mm-hmm. then they going to have to be a fifteen. And how much of Marvel's audience you're cutting off by slapping a fifteen certificate on it. I guess so. Um
1: I still don't think that you should be taking somebody too young to go and see these films. smart if you with a seventeen year old adult mm-hmm. or a ninety-two-year-old adult, you should no. not be taking somebody under the age of fifteen to go and see these.
0: <laughs> but the thing the thing is, yeah, they cut to black and white because there's so much blood in it and they couldn't get an R rating. So they changed the black and white and it's the colour red that is basically the
1: well, off you, you, you say the colour red. I think it might also have to do with the fact that Tarantino does have a bit of a thing for just ridiculous, splurting blood. Parts of it actually made me think of um, Adam's family values. You know, when they chop off the kids' arms in the um, play and they're just going around going, ah, oh, my arm, and just spraying everybody in the audience. But I think it's a ridiculous it, amount.
0: And that's with... Especially with this movie, because of what kind of a movie it is, it's so over the top. Yes. But, for example, that scene where it cuts to black and white in the Asian market is in full colour.
1: Yes, it is.
0: Because they don't have to abide by the same rules. But And you're talking about, like, you were saying that you didn't really, you don't know the Bruce Lee movies, you don't know the movies of that, but what I like also about this movie is that it's, to use a term, it's an entry-level drug.
1: I guess so, because it, it's also, I I found the style very recognisable. Mm. I knew that it was based on other Kung Fu films and comics and everything because of the style of it. I just haven't seen those films.
0: And that's the thing is, when I watched this, I hadn't. And it opened my eyes to things like the Shaw Brothers movies. And, and this is hugely influenced by Lady Snowblood. Mm-hmm and I don't know if I would have got around to those films if it wasn't for Kill Bill.
1: Can can I just ask, is, because obviously it takes a lot from different, from like the Asian culture, is it seen as being more of a stereotype or has he actually done his research and
0: got... Well, kind of. I mean, Tarantino is an encyclopedia of film. Mm -hmm. He's, He's pretty much seen everything. So like, when you get even to music choices, not, not song choices, but score. Mm-hmm. Like Tarantino, up until Hateful Eight, never let anybody score his movies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He chose scores from different movies. So everything that you hear
1: is from a different film. It's from
0: a different film, from the the alarm sound that yeah, comes. Because I'd,
1: I'd heard so that th- before. That's
0: from the Ironside TV show theme tune.
1: Oh, okay. To
0: um, the theme of Oren Ishii, which gets reused still to this day. But... Yes. that is from a two thousand film, um, and the, song, the, the, the song's called "Battle Without Honor or Humanity." I think the film's called "More Battles Without," which is a, it's a series of movies, but it wasn't even a very good movie. But it just had this incredible theme to it Mm -hmm. and you stole that reused it and now you hear that theme you hear of Kill Bill you think of Kill Bill it's pulling from so many different places and so many different Mm -hmm. influences that you can see parts of Kung Fu films martial arts films coming into it Um, and it's just like even like the Shaw Brothers the Shaw Brothers had a few which is a studio um, these like hundred versus one movies so there's like 100 men against one man. Yeah. And he fights his way through them, whereas this is obviously with a female.
1: hmm
0: And that, that is the fun aspect of it. It is so obviously made by a fan of those movies. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely and, see
1: all the love that's being put into it's, it. It's, it's
0: like Mad Max. Last yeah. week when we talked about, it looked like he threw all these ideas into a movie. And this is like Tarantino, who got a bit of clout behind him at this point. Mm-hmm. Thinking, well, I'm going to make one of these movies. Let's get everything that I want to do it in it, and especially if I can never
1: make another one again. I've at least done this,
0: and that's it. I think, especially with Volume One, because as we'll get on, Volume Two is a very different mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the entire crazy fight sequence in the House of Blue Leaves when he, when she's fighting the crazy eighty-eight. As soon as you get there, it's so manic and there's so much going on and there's so much violence and then what we get is like for me is like oh Ren is probably my favourite character Ren
1: mm-hmm. throughout this
0: entire movie. Yeah. Um and I just like most of it is probably to do with that low colour where we find her and especially because we get this huge third act fight. Yeah. But the actual final fight is quite low key compared to it.
1: Yes, it feels it feels more like a ballet compared to Yeah. The fights that we've had before.
0: And that's it. And it's I mean, there's even such things which you don't notice. For example, when the bride comes and they go into the the snow garden mm-hmm. and already is saying like, I hope you're not tired out because you won't last five minutes. From when she says that until when she gets scalped by the bride. Yeah. It's four minutes, 59 seconds.
1: Oh, is it?
0: So it's just tiny little things where you don't notice, but when you find like those little Easter eggs. Yeah. And it's even the, the location of that final fight. I mean, it's, it's got this incredible soundtrack over it. It just really amps up the momentum and the drive Mm -hmm. and the, the energy to it all. But it's, the whiteness of the snow, the blue of and the, and the snow falling, and the really sort of midnight sky above them, it is just gorgeous to look at. It's my favorite set of both of these movies, and the thing is that like, is like the set design is wonderful. And going back to this one especially is like the sound design is in, is every yes. every of Ford everything that you can see and hear how that's been mixed and how that has been engineered is. Especially in that first fight with Vicky Air Fox.
1: Well, that's it. And like when we were talking about last week, there was parts that I found of the sound mixing of Stalker that was very jarring. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, whilst it's not relaxing to listen to uh, the the mix in a Tarantino film, it's a lot more believable. Um, and you know, we'll we'll get onto it in in like Volume Two. But then they start talking. You hear like the footsteps. You hear lot. You hear gravel. You hear Mm. lots of other sort of like little bits that just kind of make it more realistic. It's it's more accurate. Mm. It's how you would actually expect it to sound like if you were there in the room. Um, But yeah, I I agree. Like the final sort of big um, fight, I just thought was. It was absolutely beautiful. Mm. I liked how it had the score over it. And then towards the very end, it th- there was no score. Yeah. Because it's like right now it's serious.
0: And, that's, and I also like the fact that Tarantino can be a bit of a fanboy because in the first script that he ever wrote, um, which he didn't direct called True Romance, the, the two main characters, Clarence and Alabama, meet at a Sonny Chiba Triple Bill, um, the Street Fighter Triple Bill. Oh, okay. And Sonny Chiba plays Hattori Hanzo. Oh, okay. So it's like when you can bring people who he's been admirers of into his movie. He's Mm -hmm. he's done it in the past and he's done it after that. But yeah, I really do like that. It's just Kill Bill Volume 1 is all about the punch and all about the, the super violence. It's like Okay, this is Tarantino doing a revenge martial arts movie, mm-hmm. and we'll get on to volume two in a second. But that I think is very much Tarantino doing his normal revenge movie. But yes. We'll get on to that after we have a short clip. The Mulberry Boys every Friday night on the show. You better know they keep it tight.
1: TL is back and the Jaystrom's in the zone. Introduce the co host, he doesn't do it alone. PCZ is about to hold court. You know he's on the headset, you can hear him snort. Pop culture movies, TV shows, and games. Rotten tomatoes, reviews, news, and Blu rays. Foggy don't play around, he will bust a drop fast. Welcome to the Entertainment Landfill Podcast, The Jason Woo! and Steven Show. It's The Jason and Steven Show. What? What? The Jason. It's Steven's show It's the Jason and Steven's show Looked dead, didn't I? Well, I wasn't But it wasn't from lack of trying, I can tell you that Actually, Bill's last bullet put me in a coma. A coma I was to lie in for four years. When I woke up, I went on what the movie advertisements refer to as a roaring rampage of revenge. I roared, and I
0: rampaged, and I got bloody satisfaction. I've killed a hell of a lot of people to get to this point, but I have only one more last one the one I'm driving to right now the only
1: one left and when I arrive at my destination I am gonna kill Bill
0: and we're back with Kill Bill volume 2 came out 2004
1: mm-hmm. still we- didn't see this one in the cinema either
0: <laughs> We've had the craziness of Kibble Volume 1. And when you've got two movies, especially like this, it's unavoidable unavoidable to have that comparison of which did you like the most. And I think I differ with this than most people who watch these movies. But I actually do prefer Volume 2 more than I prefer Volume 1. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very slight. It's a very small advantage, but I do think it pips it for me. What about you? What do you think about Volume 2?
1: I think I preferred Volume 2, but I think I prefer the characters in Volume 1. Right. I like the big colourful and the crazy and the backstories and everything. Um, but I think I preferred Volume 2 because, as we all know, I like I don't like any loose ends. Yes. Volume 2 ties up a lot of stuff. Um, I hate being left with a cliffhanger and then having to wait what a year for the next bit. I remember when what they did that in Harry Potter, me and my sister left absolutely disgusted that they <laughs> left uh what was it? the final Harry Potter film in two
0: oh, Jesse Howell's yeah, yeah. part one on.
1: Nope, we shouldn't have gone to go see that. We were very disgusted that it just ended.
0: But you know, it was only part one of the film.
1: Yeah, but it just ended when Dumbledore's grave cracked. That was it. Like, we sat for like three hours and nothing happened in that film. We had to wander around some woods.
0: That's the best Harry Potter film, by the way.
1: It's not the best Harry it Potter is. film. The best Harry Potter film is Prisoner of Azkaban, and that is it. <laughs> um, But I like the fact that you've got like the backstory, you got like a few, you've got more insights into who. Boomer Thurman's character is.
0: And we find out her name in this one. find out
1: her name. And you get to find out more about Bill. You get to find out more. Why why is he so angry about it? Because in the first one, because I didn't know the story, I was like, oh, it's just annoyed because she's gone off and got married. And then she goes, oh, just she's been shot. Bill, the baby's yours. And then it's like, okay, well, is he doing that because she was like, his assassin, he's annoyed that she's just got, went, that she has got herself knocked up, even though it's mm. his. Like, I didn't know what it was. It was good to have that. It humanized her more because before that, she was just a lady being shot in the head in a coma and then went on a killing spree. She yeah. didn't really speak a huge amount in the first film.
0: No, no, not hugely, to be honest. And that's the thing I I understand when people do prefer the first one because you've got the action, you've got the fun and there's nothing wrong with that. And it is probably a better paced movie, but what I like about volume two is the calmness of it. Mm -hmm. And from that scene in the chapel uh, at the very beginning, where we finally get to meet Bill, the entire film feels different. It has a different vibe to it, a different temperament and, for me, it's more classic Tarantino, yeah. and that is my catnip. And I remember um, there were quite a few people at the time, well a- after it, and when we're coming a few years later, and it's like everyone's calling for Tarantino to make a Western, and that's a bit of a redundant term now because he's made two of them. But I used to always be like, he's already made his Western, Kill Bill Volume 2.
1: He's a Western, yeah. He's
0: his Western, and it's bloody great.
1: Well, yeah, because the first one was shot in Asia. This one's shot in
0: Midwest? Well, in South? Texas.
1: Texas, sorry, yeah. It's shot in.
0: And that's it. And going back, Like, there's opinions out there that Tarantino drinks from his own Kool-Aid a little bit too much. He's in love with his own words, his own dialogue. And again, I completely understand that um, and that frame of mind and that viewpoint. But it's like cake for me. Mm-hmm. I like cake. I like the richness of it, and I can eat a lot of it.
1: <laughs> Me too.
0: And, yeah, basically, I haven't had an experience yet where I've ever become bored of the way Tarantino writes. I
1: think people can... I feel like the people who say that say it because he writes in such a certain way. Um, I think until the public kind of start voting with their money against how he did those sorts of films. Mm-hmm. He's he's going to keep on doing it. Those, those, those films, he made him money, made him famous, allowed him to then go on and make more films that he wanted to make and to direct and to write and produce and whatever. He got to do all of that. So I think if people had then seen this and then not gone on to see of other films, then you could be like, right, yeah, he drinks too much of his yeah. own Kool-Aid and he does this and he goes on and on and on. It didn't affect him in the public standing, maybe with critics,
0: but that's, that's it. do you know what is Tarantino self-indulgent? Yes he is. And he probably does love his home words, but do you know I I like them too. And going back to that cake, I'm that kid in Matilda, just chocolate all over my face. Just waiting for the next slice. I just want more. Mm-hmm. So he is making these three hour long movies now. Like, for example, like Hate for Late is a three hour long movie with eight people in one cabin just talking.
1: Yeah, but like the thing is, he's done, I kind of feel like he has done his lip service. He has made the big blockbustery type slash, not slasher, like shoot him up, kill him up stab him blood fests well, that's, 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 he, that's made his name that's made him the money that has now got him to the point where he'd be like do you know what I want to make this kind of film I want to be able to experiment I want to be able to put something out there Tarantino's always been shocking and I think if you're so used to seeing a style of Tarantino film then go and say see something like you said The Hateful Eight that's probably going to still be shocking because you'll be like don't He's gone in a completely different direction to what his style you thought it was.
0: Well, no, I don't think it's a different style. It's the same style, but I think it's, he loves to over-dramatise it. Mm -hmm. He loves to, if he can say something in two words, but he can make it sound more flowery in two minutes worth of monologue, He's going to do the two minutes.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, but why not? And again, it's just since I enjoy that. So that's why I go, that's why I go see a Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. That's why I enjoy Hateful Eight because it's just him just talking to himself and being self-indulgent. But it's something that I enjoy. And it's like even with this movie, we've been through four hours of this revenge film. The end of the first one, we've got a huge fight. That lasts for a good half hour.
1: And a huge amount of bodies left.
0: And a huge amount of bodies left. So he's done that. So that means he doesn't have to do that in this one. So what is the third act finale of this? It's a 40 40 minute dialogue scene with him. It's couples therapy. It is. Absolutely. And like that is it's like David Carradine in that movie. I, I like his casting for a number of reasons. Just because I think he is actually great in the role. But then you've got the history of him, like he was a martial arts actor from the seventies and eighties. Oh, okay. Like he was, he was the same around the same time as um, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris, and he'd be, he was in a few films with Chuck Norris. And but but one thing I really like about him, it's it's so reductive, but he's got a great face. He's
1: got a very every man sort of face. You can imagine him to me being the head of something like that because I could see him being able to stand out but also being able to blend in. Yeah. He hasn't got anything that is like incredibly striking to look at but he's still kind of handsome.
0: And yeah. And like the thing is it's, the thing with face is like Sergio, Sergio Leone was the best at it. He used to pick people who used to have amazing faces like and like when when you cut to somebody and you could see like every face told a story mm-hmm. you could feel like they've been there for for a hundred years just thinking it's like it's it's I feel really bad but it's the wrinkles like there's nothing like the old man's wrinkles shot in black and white because you, yeah. you can see it all you can see the shade you can just see every single crevice and that opening scene when we do get that dialogue scene between um Beatrix and Bill. Mm-hmm. And we get a bit more about their relationship and where they came from. And he's so calm and he is just collective. He's not, he's not he's not shouting, he's not crazy. He's just
1: in control. He's
0: in control of everything. And that is what I like about that scene. But it's also it's you realize that it's a bit of a twisted romance movie mm-hmm. because he obviously is in love with Beatrix, but does this horrible thing.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: Um, and that's it, it's, it's the chemistry of them too, as well. Because, and I watched an interview with Tarantino a few years back now, I think it was with Charlie Rose. They talked about that age gap of David Carradine, because he's an. He's an old man and with mm-hmm. and it is also the casting but also the performances where they do have chemistry because you could easily watch that and Tarantino talks about it and say so mm-hmm. when she goes to kiss Carradine they could be like, ew. Yeah. But you don't feel that because they've got a comp- – like the chemistry and the charisma that they have for each other is so, so good.
1: How old was um, Uma Thurman in this film? Oh,
0: God, now you can put me on the spot.
1: Sorry. Just because I kind of feel like it's a more believable relationship.
0: She was 33.
1: Okay. So I kind of feel like it was a more believable relationship because she wasn't like a 19 year old girl that they usually put opposite older men. She is somebody who. I think at that time, there's shots of her where she looks older than 33, mm. and in other shots, she looks younger. But I think if you look at her today, she doesn't look like she has aged. Yeah, I feel like she probably looked older for her younger years, but then that's her. That's yeah. her. She's going to look like that now until she hits like her 70s, and she's not. She's not going to get any older. Mm. Um, so it is more believable because they haven't put some little starlet next to him. Yeah, you've put somebody who really for the time She's an
0: adult. She's not. She's like, an adult. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, she's more of an adult, and she looks like she's got her shit together. Really, mm. she acts like she has, and um, yeah, I just kind of feel like. Yes, it would be a big age gap, but for Hollywood, it's a more believable age
0: gap. 100%. And yeah, and I think I, I do like their weird little love story that they have. And like, it's this second one where it, it, it's karma. There's loads of different... Like, the the pie mess scene mm-hmm. doesn't really have to be there. And it does stop the film's pacing like dead. But I love the silliness of it. I did and, not and, like him. <laughs> but but and I love how it's kind of going back to show how she's going to get out of the situation, which is the buried alive scene mm-hmm. is horrifying. Is it's so like bad. when you're in that coffin with her and you can see the light just slowly being sort of hammered out and being in a total dark and just hearing the earth. And then it goes to black and white. Yeah. Um, and
1: everything. Yeah. That, that was awful. And yes, I agree. That's really good to show that. Did not like Pymay. I mean, this is no right way. If that's his beard,
0: it's that's not. Fine. Well, the guy, but the-
1: I just found that beard. I was like, I am ready to rip that thing off your chin, mate. If you don't stop playing with it, You're just whipping it around. You're not Ariana Grande.
0: But the thing is, there's, there's a few dual rules in these movies as well. Because the guy who plays Pime
1: mm-hmm.
0: actually plays Johnny Moore, who is the leader of the Crazy Eighty Eight.
1: Oh, does he?
0: And there's Michael Parks, mm-hmm. who plays the sheriff at the beginning. Now, that sheriff was originated in from Just Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. He plays a character in an old, but well, Tarantino wrote and starred in it with Robert Rodriguez, who directed it. Mm-hmm. But he also plays the Mexican pimp at the end.
1: Oh, Esteban.
0: Esteban. So there is a few different um, things there. But I do, I like the fact that it is way more Tarantino-esque, to use the term. Yes. Volume 2. You've got Michael Madsen, who seems to really only be on top form when he is in Quentin Tarantino movies. Daryl Hannah is great. She's like cool as ice. Yes. When she has her scene with, but oh, she's like a woman who is in control of...
1: Her whole life. Yeah. We can only wish to be that in control, even just for five minutes.
0: mm and that's it. I yeah, I love I love this movie so much. I say I, I do love them both and I love this one a little bit more, but this thing is they aren't my favorite Tarantino movies, but they are super, super entertaining.
1: Would you say they were still in like your top were they still some of your like most favourite films? But I mean on I mean, a scale of Tarantino, they weren't your top Tarantino films? No,
0: not really. I mean I do I do like them a lot, but I mean I would never ever clap put them in my sort of like my even probably my top 50 or top 100 film favorite films. But it's just, they have a nice charm and charisma to them that I can appreciate. Yeah. And the fact that both of them are completely, completely different. Um. But yeah, that's it really.
1: I, I have to say, I did, I really enjoyed both of them. I'm really pleased I got a chance to watch them. Because um, for me, watching Tarantino, because it is, it, it can be very heavy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's not a director that I'd want to sit and watch by myself. Yeah, I find him too heavy. I find it a bit too gruesome. Sometimes I, this one was fine, but I like the fact if something's coming up that's really gruesome, you always go, "Oh, this bit's really bad." Maybe just just. just oh, or, or when we
0: watch a new, one, a new film for the first time, and I don't know what's coming along, and then Brad Pitt crushes a man's skull against a fireplace.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's always good. Thanks for that, Jordan. Oh, that amazing. Um, but I hadn't seen them. And it's kind of like...
0: But it's one of those films you've where... You've got to watch. It's, it's the cultural impact. To be honest, mostly of the first one mm-hmm. and then the second one. But it's a term that um, I actually heard coined saying, like it's, like it's like the Cloverfield monster. It's like, you've probably seen most of it, but, but a different part and you know, yes. different scenes from different films like Kung Fu Panda is basically a rip off of Kill Bill. Oh,
1: I'd seen it then. I'd definitely seen and, Kill
0: Bill, but, then. and that's and it, even down to using like the theme for Kill Bill. Yeah,
1: you know, how
0: how much times do you do see those those scenes and those slow mo scenes to yeah. that battle without f- honour of humanity? Yeah, that's term? very true.
1: I've seen it when girls walk out the bathroom in films.
0: Yeah, See, like, isn't like X Factor use that as now? Or, yeah,
1: I think so. X Factor, or or, if it,
0: whatever's still on the TV.
1: Um, what's it called? Britain's Got Talent,
0: Talent, probably. So yeah, Tarantino's put lots of money in the pockets of the two people who created that theme, and that's it. Kill Bill, Volume One and Volume Two, still are, frankly, brilliant.
1: I'm pleased I can knock them off my Tarantino list.
0: Yes. I'll a few more.
1: Just a, just a few more. I still think favorite. Django is my favourite. Django or Inglorious Bastards. I get I really like both of those like a lot.
0: I like those. I, I, I also think,
1: think they're the only two that my mum has seen of Tarantino.
0: Ah. See, for me, it's actually his most recent once upon a time in Hollywood. That is
1: I did like that incredible. one. incredible. Well.
0: It's most perfect Hangout movie, and it's just Tarantino having a boatload of fun. A boatload of fun. But yeah, Django is great. Glorious Bastards is great.
1: I think I... I think...
0: When you've got Fish and you've got Reservoir Dogs, but I've seen them so many times. Yeah. And I think they are the American classics because they rightly are, but I do think in 50 years, he will be remembered more fondly for the films like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah but well, you Django. can't yeah
1: that's it but like to the point where you have he he's shaped and he's changed cinema and life general <laughs> life like for, even for us like I think what our second dance was from Pulp Fiction <laughs> it, it <laughs> was
0: very but, um, <laughs> so. but but the thing is Tarantino did change American the landscape of American cinema because there's so many many copycats mm-hmm in the late 90s and early 2000s, who is trying to do that same thing, have that same lyrical dialogue of people talking about nothing. But, like, for example, when you've got um, Jules and Vincent Vega talking about Burger King yes. in the car in Pulp Fiction, it's a scene that doesn't mean anything, doesn't do anything for the plot, but it gives you that insight of the character. And it's, mm-hmm. it's like, an insight into the mundane lives of hit men. Yeah. Which is great. But I think that's it. That's it. That's it for this week. We'll be back again next week with some lovely topic and some hopefully too good in films, but we never know.
1: Could be two shocking films.
0: Could be two shocking films. As long films. as it's not
1: that electric boogaloo thing again, we're <laughs> fine.
0: <laughs> so that is it for this week. We'll be back and, yeah, stay safe. That's it. it's, it's the lowest energy and i never know how to end podcasts i should really get a script for myself where i go through different things but if you want to contact the show go over our socials or on instagram twitter at his film her movie yeah email us send us a voicemail at hfhm podcast at gmail.com
1: yeah
0: or just don't
1: <laughs> oh it's- just go and um- Get off your phone. Get off the internet and go watch a film.
0: Absolutely.
1: Go to the cinema now that the cinemas are back open. Cinemas
0: are open. Go so... for a
1: pint. Go to the cinema, but don't hug strangers.
0: <laughs> that's, that's not that's not a COVID thing. That's just an entire life lesson. Yeah,
1: I just don't want people to get like so excited <laughs> that they're going outside and going out to the pub that they start hugging strangers.
0: That would be a strange thing to do.
1: You've obviously never been down Botchigate at like two <laughs> o'clock in the, in the afternoon. Afternoon? Morning.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I can't think of a better way to end it there. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.